0: It's a muggy Saturday in September, and we're walking through Waterworks Park on the outskirts of Des Moines, Iowa. This is the 2019 Polk County Steak Fry, an event that's been dubbed the Coachella of the Iowa caucuses. All around us, we've got huge grills billowing smoke, food trucks selling tacos, and people clamoring for autographs and selfies.
1: As a reporter, I covered presidential rallies, town halls in Texas, and even election nights. But nothing is quite like this. It really feels like an outdoor music festival. You see people drinking beers in lounge chairs and scarfing down burgers on the grass. It's even got some roving squads of cheerleaders.
0: But instead of jam bands or A-list rappers, the headliners of this day are the current Democratic presidential candidates, all 17 of them as of September.
1: This probably is the biggest event leading up to the caucus. That's C.C. Epson, a volunteer for the local Democratic Party who has attended her fair share of steak fries. This year, particularly, as you can see, they sold 12,000 tickets because we, we have so many candidates uh, that are running that brought enormous entourages with them, which is very exciting for all of us. Um, we are, in a lot of ways, heading towards a home stretch for the Iowa caucuses, so this is a great opportunity for voters, particularly those who are undecided. Uh, to listen to their candidates speak. They can come here, almost everybody, all at once at one event. Those conversations between voters and candidates usually focus on domestic issues like jobs and healthcare. But every once in a while, a foreign policy issue hits home in Iowa during caucus season. An issue like what to do about China and the trade war.
0: At the Steak fry, we got to put that question to a few of the candidates. Here's Andrew Yang.
2: The trade war is the wrong way to go. We need to get to the negotiating table and start trying to resolve the real issues instead of just, frankly, hammering producers here in Iowa and around the country that have nothing to do with the piracy of American intellectual property.
0: And here's Beto O'Rourke, who at the time was still in the race.
2: I would end the the trade war. Um, I would end these tariffs that have been a disaster for the U.S. economy, been a disaster for the U.S. taxpayer. It is pushing us closer to recession and it is really hurting farmers here in Iowa and, and across the country.
1: As the most political cookout in America, the steak fry smells like hot dogs and sirloin steaks. But it's not all pork and beef. While we chatted with Yen and Beto, Cory Booker was just a few yards away growing veggie burgers.
3: My wife is trying to make me a vegetarian. Limited success so far.
1: That's what's really special about caucus season in Iowa and especially the steak fry. This is one of the few times and places that national politics genuinely feels up close and personal.
0: Here, we've got over a dozen mayors, governors, senators, and business people all vying to become the most powerful person in the country. But the interview process to get that job involves standing behind a grill and flipping burgers for ordinary people, answering their questions, laughing at their jokes, and trying to win them over one at a time. It honestly feels like both the most beautiful and the most insane way to choose the leader of a country.
1: As someone who grew up in China, it's a scene that's hard to imagine unfolding in Chinese politics, where the real campaigning for leadership goes down behind closed doors and between party elites.
0: Chinese politics might not have their own Polk County steak fry, but the relationship between top leaders of China and the United States does sometimes get personal. And if we trace those personal ties back and forth across the last three decades, they lead us right back here to Iowa.
1: Welcome to Heartland Mainland, the Iowa China podcast, brought to you by Macropolo. I'm Holly Hu, Multimedia and Research Associate at Macropolo, the think tank of the Paulson Institute in Chicago.
0: And I'm Matt Sheehan, a fellow here at Macro Polo. In this podcast series, we're exploring the ties linking the Hawkeye State and the People's Republic of China. They might seem like an odd pairing, but China and Iowa are in fact bound together by deep and diverse ties. Those ties are bringing the relationship between the world's two superpowers down from the realm of geopolitics and directly into our schools, communities, and everyday lives.
1: In our last episode, we looked at how an influx of Chinese students provided a financial safety net to Iowa universities after the financial crisis, and how that same influx of students created a backlash that went all the way up to the White House.
0: In this episode, we're talking politics. That's because unlikely personal connections tie the most powerful man in China to Iowa. Back in 1985, an unknown Chinese county official named Xi Jinping made his first trip to the United States, He was part of a Chinese government delegation sent to study American food processing, and this trip was all about citizen diplomacy. He stayed with ordinary Iowans, talked with them about Mark Twain and the American dream, and even learned how to drive a car. In 2012, Xi Jinping came back to Iowa, this time as the next leader of China.
1: Xi's 1985 trip planted the seeds that put one small Iowa town in the global spotlight and turned ordinary Iowans into celebrities in China. It drummed up new soybean exports and paved the way for Iowa Governor Terry Branstad to become today's U.S. ambassador to China.
0: If international relations hinged on personal rapport, then China and Iowa should be in the midst of a new golden era. In reality, the last couple years have been almost the exact opposite. The U.S.-China relationship is more contentious than it's been in decades, and despite the current reprieve and the trade war, Iowa has already been hit hard by tariffs on soybean and corn exports.
1: So how did Iowa go from the great hope of U.S.-China relations to collateral damage in a trade war? Do personal ties count for anything in an era of rough and tumble geopolitics? We'll be exploring all that and a whole lot more in this episode of Heartland Mainland.
0: Whichever candidate emerges victorious from this year's presidential election, they will have to spend a lot of time dealing with one world leader in particular, Xi Jinping, the president of China and general secretary of the Chinese Communist Party.
1: When it comes to handling any major international issue, whether it's the global economy, climate change, or nuclear nonproliferation, China will be a crucial player.
0: And she is already the most powerful leader in China in decades. He came to power in the fall of 2012 and quickly consolidated control through a sweeping anti-corruption campaign, a new wave of ideological controls, and a broad crackdown on civil society. Today, he sits at the absolute center of the party, and all indications are that he's not leaving anytime soon.
1: But the next U.S. president and Xi will at least share one thing in common. They have both spent plenty of time in Iowa
0: during Xi's two-week trip in 1985, he was just a low-level county official in the northern Chinese province of Hebei.
1: Back then, China was still a very poor country. During the stay in the American heartland, there were no private jets or expensive hotel suites. Instead, the delegation began their stay at a humble motel tucked away on the outskirts of Des Moines.
0: And that's where we started our trip traveling back in time to explore how this slice of forgotten history reverberates in U.S.-China
1: relations today. 34 years later, the motel is still standing, an eggshell brick building with a sign in big red block letters and that reads Motel Relax.
3: If I had to guesstimate, I would say it costs $64 a night to stay yeah. here. <laughs> I maybe would, cheaper. Yeah, maybe cheaper. It's got wooden staircase mm. up the sides and a sign that says, absolutely no bar parking. We are not here for the bar, we are here for the China US history, so don't ticket us.
1: Motel Relax doesn't exactly have a sterling reputation. If you Google it, lots of the results are about crime at the property and attempts by the community to get it shut down.
0: But when we roll up, it's the middle of a sunny afternoon and there are kids playing basketball outside the motel. We get out of the car, start taking some pictures, and then spot the manager of the motel eyeing us suspiciously.
3: One question is very random and kind of weird.
1: (laughs) That's why I'm out here. I'm like, who are these people?
3: (laughs) We had heard that once about 20, 30 years ago, the president of China stayed in this (laughs) building. Is
1: it true? You know what? I don't know the history. Um, When I first took over, like two and a half years ago, I had other people come up and tell me that too and they wanted to see the room that he supposedly stayed in and well at the time it was empty which was our 227 well right now there's somebody in there so I can't show that room. I've had a whole group of you know your culture come up and they're like taking pictures and everything I'm like can we get a picture of you um yeah sure (laughs) so yeah that was totally random so you're like the second one that's done that to me now
0: Room 227 was occupied on the day we arrived, so Carrie, the motel manager, took us up to see a similar room down the hall from it.
3: It's like a one-bedroom, nice clean sheets and everything, wood floors, a TV, a mirror, yeah, a kitchen. We're walking back into the kitchen now, so a nice little kitchenette it's a little and a bathroom back here. Leaking a little bit. Just pull that up so it doesn't leak. Probably uh, turn this into a tourist spot. Get some Chinese tourists coming through.
2: <laughs> right?
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> Can we get down over there? Or? Yeah, oh, yeah, there's stairs
1: at the end. Thanks so much. Really You're appreciate welcome. it. You're welcome. Have you. a good night, guys. <laughs> you too. Motel Relax gave us a glimpse into the kinds of places she and his fellow Chinese officials were staying back in 1985. But what were they up to in Iowa? And where were the young Xi Jinping's early impressions of America? We dialed up an Italian immigrant to Iowa with the answers to those very questions.
4: Uh, I hosted uh, several uh, delegations that came to Iowa for various purposes. And in April of uh, 1985, then I organized a travel with uh, uh, the delegation that was headed by President Xi.
1: That's Luca Baroni. Luca came to Iowa as a young exchange student from Italy. He planned to stay just a year, but got hooked and received what he calls a life sentence here in the state. He began working on exporting Iowa products globally, and soon got appointed the director of Iowa's sister states, an organization tasked with fostering citizen diplomacy between Iowa and regions around the world. As one of the organizers of the trip, Luca ended up driving the delegation around the state for two weeks and hanging out with the members, including Xi himself.
4: I, you know, people always, again, ask me, oh, did you know that it was going to be such a unique or special thing? No, you, obviously, if you don't beg a person, that is going to be the next president of China or whatever. But uh, the interesting thing was the fact that, indeed, uh, he was very alert, very curious. Very insightful in his questions and interest about both the business in the uh, United States, but also the lifestyle, the, the daily routine of you know Americans.
1: During those two weeks, they visited Iowa grain processing facilities, local high schools, and a Heinz ketchup factory. While in Des Moines, they paid a visit to the state capitol, where they met the young governor of Iowa, Terry Branstad.
0: That's the same Governor Branstad you heard about in our last episode the same one who would go on to become ambassador to China and put a stop to plans for a ban on Chinese students in the U.S.
1: After leaving Motel Relax, Xi did a homestay with a host family in a small eastern Iowa city called Muscatine. The city hugs a bend in the Mississippi River, right along the state's eastern border with Illinois. There, the mayor of Muscatine presented Xi with a key to the city.
0: In a picture of the delegation captured on a boat on the Mississippi River, she has a big grin on his face and arms around his colleagues. He just looks like a normal Chinese guy having a good time on a work trip. It's a stark contrast with the official pictures you see of him these days. During all these travels, Luca and she kept up a running conversation about life in Iowa and throughout the U.S. We had uh, many conversations about uh, the fact that uh, why
4: uh, myself as an Italian chose to stay in the United States. Uh, you know, what brought me here. I vividly remember conversation in Muscatine about uh, you know the American dream and about uh, Mark Twain. Uh,
1: there were also some more practical lessons in store. Uh,
4: one uh, Saturday morning in Cedar Rapids trying to kill time and didn't uh, know what to do, so I took him to a parking lot and taught him how to drive a car on the state van, which is probably highly illegal. <laughs>
0: That's crazy. Do you know, had he driven before in China? No. This is what's really fascinating and kind of puzzling for me about Xi's time in Iowa. This trip gave him more early exposure to the U.S. than any previous top leader of the Communist Party. And the trip wasn't just spent in meetings in D.C. or shopping in San Francisco. Instead, it was in Iowa, right here in the feel-good heartland of America. When he wasn't visiting American factories or schools— He was spending his days talking with an Italian-American immigrant about the local lifestyle and American values. Honestly, if I could go back in time and design what I thought would be the perfect trip to introduce a future foreign leader to America, it would probably look a lot like the trip that Luca designed for Xi back in 1985.
1: So did that trip transform Xi's view of America? Did it change it at all? We might never know the answer to these questions. What we do know is that it transformed one of the places Xi visited the city of Muscatine.
0: Muscatine is known as the Pearl of the Mississippi because it once served as the epicenter of America's massive pearl button industry. In 1885, Mark Twain spent a summer living in town working for his brother at the local newspaper, the Muscatine Journal.
1: But after those early claims to fame, Muscatine didn't have much going on that made waves beyond this corner of eastern Iowa. When we asked Luca why he brought the delegation to Muscatine in the first place, he said one of the main reasons was actually personal. His in-laws lived in Muscatine, and his wife was visiting with their four-month-old son.
0: That simple twist of fate would end up landing the city in the international media spotlight. To see why, we've got to fast forward all the way to 2011. By that time, Terry Branstad had been re-elected as governor of Iowa after a decade out of politics. Xi Jinping, meanwhile, had risen to become the vice president and heir apparent in China.
1: The two politicians met again during a visit of American governors to China. At the meeting, Xi handed Branstad a business card he had kept since 1985 and asked him if he knew the person. The name on that card? Luca Baroni.
0: That encounter set off a whole chain of events, events that eventually led Vice President Xi to return to Iowa in 2012. During a reception at the Iowa State Capitol, Xi and Luca met again. He
4: told me oh, it was great to see me. Uh, and then he said, oh, I can't believe uh, after 27 years you're still very handsome. Uh, and that's not true, uh-huh, by the way.
1: On the 2012 trip, Xi also decided to pay a second visit to the city of Muscatine.
2: After 27 years, the Chinese government's heir apparent is returning to the American Midwest. Now he returned with an entourage as the man most likely to lead China in the years ahead.
0: There, he reunited with the family that hosted him in 1985. During the meeting, he reportedly told them, quote, "To me, you are America."
1: After signing a couple of trade deals to increase soybean purchases, she and the Chinese delegation left the state. But the impact of these trips continued to ripple across Muscatine today. To see how they changed the fabric of everyday life in the city, we headed out there ourselves.
0: Our first stop in Muscatine was a two-story house on a tree-lined street, the home that Xi Jinping stayed at in 1985. After Xi's 2012 trip, a Chinese businessman saw an opportunity. He bought the house and turned it into a museum, the Sino-U.S. Friendship House. We were met there by a young woman named Lin, who recently graduated from Iowa State University and now leads tours of the home.
1: Thank you.
3: Should we take off our shoes? No,
1: you can just clean it all the way. Inside, the house is packed with Chinese calligraphy, pamphlets telling the tale of Iowa-China friendship, and blown-up pictures of Xi's 1985 and 2012 visits. Who is in this one? I feel like this is older. Xishun. So yeah. that's she's oh, okay. father. So
3: His Do we know where in the house he stayed? Yeah, love like to yeah, see that.
4: So like when President Xi came here, and the landlord son went to the university, uh-huh. so
3: this room was empty.
1: In the room he slept in, the bed was guarded by wooden railings like a shrine.
3: Do we know if it was this actual same bed? Or just the
1: same The same bed. The we exact same bed. The exact same bed.
0: The Friendship House is just one of many imprints left by Xi's two visits to Muscatine. I hadn't really given China much thought, honestly, growing up in the Midwest. Just on the other side of town, we met with Dan Stein, a Midwestern businessman and the president of a fairly new organization, the Muscatine-China
2: Initiative Committee. We're always coordinating, you know, visitors, high-level visitors that want to see President Xi's house that he stayed in here.
0: Dan and the other members started inviting cultural activities to town, including an annual free concert for Muscatine residents performed by the Beijing Symphony Orchestra each Chinese New Year.
2: We've also had a lot of uh, art, cultural things at the high school level, you know, tea ceremonies, paper folding, kung fu, everything like that. So economically speaking, our committee's been pretty impactful You know, a town like Muscatine hasn't got a ton of outside investment coming in, Uh, but we've been able, with some private Chinese investors, to get some capital investment here locally.
1: To encourage tourism from China, the committee even set up a Muscatine Center in Jinan, China, my hometown. The center includes a precisely scaled model of Muscatine, artifacts from the city, and showcases for local Muscatine businesses.
0: But, of course... People in Muscatine weren't necessarily used to being in the international spotlight or this sudden kinship with a country on the other side of the world. Like when these orchestras
2: come, it's like 100 people, you know. So if you see 100 Chinese people walking through downtown Muscatine, it's just like, wow, that's a lot, you know. So, and in the beginning...
1: After talking with Dan, we took a walk on the main street of downtown Muscatine.
0: Like most Midwestern towns, there's a bakery here, a laundromat there, and some fun little antique shops. But what caught our eye was a storefront with a grand-sounding name, the National Pearl Button Museum.
4: And people of all walks of life could go to the rivers, and if you needed to make a living, all you had to do was pull this material from the river, stack it on the
2: riverbanks,
0: myers. That's Terry Eagle, a retired Muscatine fireman who is now director of the National Pearl Button Museum. Terry is passionate, like, really passionate about Muscatine's history as the Pearl Button capital of the U.S. in the late 1800s, a period of time that Terry calls the Gold Rush of the Midwest.
1: After the tour, we caught up with Terry to chat about Pearl Buttons and the famous 2012 state visit.
4: When we had tours, we had to find translators because when the Chinese come in, uh, very little of them speak English, and I have maybe one word, anyhow. They were very taken by American culture in the Midwest. If, if you get Chinese tourists, they usually land in California, overfly the Midwest to Washington DC and New York, and rarely do they stay in the Midwest. It's been good for Muscatine, it really has.
0: Terry just hopes that amidst all the hype about Xi's visit, people don't go and forget the reason they call Muscatine the Pearl of the Mississippi. But you
4: think about Xi's history here, three days of history, kind of outshining about 100 years of American history.
1: After the 2012 trip, many people had high hopes that these personal ties might reinforce a stable and maybe even friendly relationship between the two superpowers.
0: Before coming to power in 2012 and 2013, she played his cards extremely close to his chest, revealing little about his policy preferences. In that vacuum of credible information, some American observers hope that his personal experiences in America might make him somewhat more sympathetic to Western political values.
1: During the 2016 presidential campaign, Donald Trump was also sending mixed messages on China. He frequently evoked China, 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 especially when talking tough about trade. But he would then often pivot to more positive rhetoric. I love
0: China. After the 2016 election, President Trump went out of his way to praise Xi, describing him as a, quote, great man and friend. But the most positive signal from the White House came with Trump's choice of his ambassador to China, Terry Branstad, two-time Iowa governor and a man described as a, quote, old friend by Xi himself.
1: Some thought that the U.S. and China were ready to enter a better era, With Iowa right at the center.
0: Clearly, it hasn't played out that way. For the last year and a half, the U.S.-China relationship has been locked in a downward spiral.
3: President Trump tonight escalating his trade war with China, threatening new tariffs that they're coming soon and they are sweeping.
1: The reasons for this downward spiral are way bigger than any one person or even any one issue. You've got a trade imbalance, technology and intellectual property theft geopolitical competition and divergent political systems.
0: These tensions all found a focal point in the U.S.-China trade war. Beginning in July of 2018, the U.S. and China have taken turns raising tariffs on each other's exports, making exports from China more expensive for American buyers and vice versa. And in picking what kinds of exports to tax, both sides tried to hit the other where it hurts.
1: The first rounds of U.S. tariffs hit many Chinese technology exports trying to strike a blow at the country's ambition to build up these sectors. And China chose to hit back at American agricultural products like soybeans, the livelihood of farmers in heartland states that voted for Trump in 2016.
0: That delivered a major blow to one of the pillars of Iowa's rural economy. Farmers in Iowa told us the tariffs meant a drop of about 25% in their income from soybeans.
1: We'll be doing a deep dive into these agricultural ties in the next episode of Heartland Mainland. For now, let's just say that Iowa has been one of the states that has borne the brunt of the latest economic conflict.
0: And that's dragged China directly into the campaign to become America's next president. The Iowa caucuses and presidential primaries don't often go deep into foreign policy. They're usually about domestic kitchen table issues like jobs, health care, taxes and education.
1: But that's part of what makes Iowa so unique right now. The state's role as a leading exporter of soybeans, corn and pork to China means that U.S.-China relations have become a kitchen table issue for lots of people in Iowa.
0: Among the current leaders for the Democratic nomination, there are some major divides in their approach to China. Former Vice President Joe Biden, for instance, has been on the record dismissing the idea that China is even a serious competitor with the U.S.
4: China is going to eat our lunch? Come on, man.
1: On the other side of the divide, Senators Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren tend to argue that trade policy including with China, has hurt American workers. I'm not afraid of using tariffs as one tool as part of a comprehensive trade strategy. So I am not anti-China, but we have got to establish trade policies which do not allow corporate America to simply shut down in this country and move to countries around the world where they're paying people pennies an hour.
0: At a town hall meeting after the steak fry, we got a chance to put a question to Pete Buttigieg,
3: what would be your top priorities in dealing with China, and how would those impact people here in Iowa?
2: Well, uh, the biggest thing is to make sure that we're putting Americans first. That's American workers, American farmers, American consumers. You don't see that right now. Consumers' prices are going to go up with the tariffs. Farmers are getting killed because of uh, what's been going on to soybeans, but not only the soybeans. And there's no real strategy. What you're going to see when I'm president is uh, a trade strategy that really focuses on making sure that we make things easier, not harder for Americans, and an overall strategy that uh, puts American values, not just American economics, Interests in a very front foot. Thanks very
1: much. Over the last few years, we witnessed a hopeful moment in the Iowa China story turning to fresh tensions between global superpowers. So, what does that tell us about citizen diplomacy? In the end, do these personal connections matter for international relations?
0: In Iowa, we had the chance to ask that question to a native Iowan and former U.S. ambassador. Ronald McMullen, a veteran diplomat who now serves as the ambassador-in-residence at the University of Iowa. He's the guy we talked with in the last episode, the professor who passes around a Ziploc bag full of money in his classes to make a point about university funding.
2: Terry Branstad's son was Donald Trump's campaign manager in Iowa. And so there's a, a family connection. Uh, Terry Branstad knew President Xi. So there's, a, there's an Iowa connection there that is personal and goes back a number of years. Uh, Ambassador Branstead has not been over able to overcome the end of convergence.
1: Here, convergence refers to the long-standing theory that as China grew more wealthy, it would also become more politically liberal, slowly converging with Western democratic systems.
2: Nobody in Washington now believes in convergence. And despite the personal connection between President Xi and Governor Branstead in Iowa, the end of convergence has trumped this Iowa-China connection.
0: Whatever happens between Xi Jinping and Donald Trump, or between China and the U.S. in the trade war, it doesn't mark the end of the China-Iowa story. That's because the kind of citizen diplomacy that brought Xi Jinping to Iowa back in 1985 didn't stop happening after that trip.
1: While we were interviewing candidates at the Polk County Steak fry, we ran into a group of Chinese students doing their own version of what Xi Jinping did 35 years ago. Encountering America right here in the heartland.
0: And the fact that they happen to be in this particular place at this particular time Means they end up getting a lot of FaceTime with some important people in American
1: life. Andrew, Andrew uh, my Amy Amy Klobuchar, Kamala. Kamala Harris.
0: These students are part of Education Without Borders, an organization run by a Chinese American immigrant named Swallow Yen. If you're doing anything with Iowa and China, chances are you're going to run into Swallow. He knows absolutely everyone, and he's always hustling.
1: So I, I try to utilize all the top uh, resources. And uh, I always classify America. But his real passion is citizen diplomacy, getting young Chinese students immersed in all things Iowa. He's kind of like the Chinese Luca Baroni. He arranges home stays, gets them enrolled in local schools, and brings them out to all kinds of caucus events
0: those Chinese students end up spending more time at the grassroots of American politics than I ever did growing up. Students like Kevin.
1: Kevin is 14, and he's only been in the U.S. a couple years. But he's already had a chance to ask questions at town hall meetings and meet senators and presidential hopefuls. Hey, Kevin!
2: It's mad to wide. What do you think of him? Um, he's pretty good. Really? And I've met him for like three times.
1: Oh, you yeah. met him three times. What was the previous two times?
2: Uh, once in a farm, uh-huh. another one is in an event to uh, take a selfie last time.
1: Is this the first time you come to an uh, event like the steak fry, like this large scale? Large scale. Yeah. What What do you think of the event so far? Pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Is a selfie with Biden going to change young Kevin's image of America? We probably won't know the answer to that for another 30 years. But hey, it's planning another seat of citizen diplomacy, making Chinese kids like Kevin a little more real for the Iowans here, and making those Iowans a little more real for Kevin.
1: Next week a Heartland Mainland, we're diving into soybeans, corn, and the very local impacts of tariffs. we will take you to meet the Iowa farmer who became an agricultural celebrity in China and then found his crops caught in the trade war.
0: Heartland Mainland is written and produced by Holly He and me, Matt Sheehan. It's brought to you by Macro Polo, think tank of the Paulson Institute in Chicago. To explore more about this series and our research into Chinese politics, economics, and technology, find us online at macropolo.org. That's macro as in macroeconomics and polo as in Marco polo dot O-R-G.
1: We'd like to thank our student fellow Shi Yingwen Wen and our intern Wu Jie Julia Song for all their work on research and production. We'd also like to give a shout out to Kyle Munson for his excellent reporting on Iowa China ties. You can check out his work by Googling Iowa in the Heart of China. Finally, we'd like to thank Ash and Spencer for the music.
0: I'm Matt Sheehan.
1: And I'm Holly Hu. Catch you next time on Heartland Mainland.